Welcome to Prickly and Blooming, hosted by Jesse Browning and brought to you by LaJoy Society. At age 35, Jesse theoretically adored her life. She was a mama to four children and owned multiple businesses with her husband. But without an ability to cope or care for herself, an isolating darkness crept in. Through reckless self-care, therapy, and lots of candor, Jessie found her joy again. She has created La Joy Society to embolden others to do the same. Each week, we will meet a woman who has an authentic story to share. Undoubtedly, Jessie will be sharing her big heart, unusual life, and countless theories with you along the way. Now, here's Jessie. So here we are today. I have Tracy Wheat Hughes with me, and Tracy and I have a mutual friend who has connected us, and she is going to share with us her journey. So welcome, Tracy. Thank you for having me. I was trying to mentally prepare for this, and when I go back, it just kind of naturally brings up not only anxiety but a lot of sadness too that I I didn't even really realize was still there. So I'm probably going to cry a lot. That's okay. We love crying. Okay, good. I'm going to be a hit. Yeah. Um, so the moment where I realized I was sick and tired of being sick and tired was mm-hmm. I was in, I had woken up in a hotel room in New York City. And as usual, I had blacked out the night before. Mm-hmm. And blacking out at this point, at this stage in the game was only like one glass of wine. Like I would just black out. My brain was either so exhausted or poisoned or or whatever that um, it just stopped remembering things. I had one little flash that came later about that night where I left some coworkers I was eating dinner with. I had never been in New York City before, so it wasn't like I just knew what I was doing. Um, I was 32 years old, and I left. For some reason, the uh, dinner at a nice restaurant, um, blacked out, woke up in my hotel room, and as usual, would get up and act like nothing happened, um, and then kind of test the people that were around me to see if something did happen, which is a super awkward, scary feeling anyway, but I did it very well. And I got up and I got ready for work, which meant makeup, hair. The scariest thing about my drinking career was that I could pull it off. Until I couldn't anymore. And this was pretty much the day where the boss came to the hotel room, knocked on the door, and I was like, hey, you know, like, and he said, you're fired and um, you need to get out of the hotel room by 11 o'clock. I had lost my wallet. I lost my phone that night. I had $20 in my pocket and I packed up my belonging. I didn't say anything. I packed up, packed up my belongings in my suitcase, which was one of those ones that you kind of pull behind you and it's kind of tall. And I sat down on a sidewalk in New York City all by myself with nothing, not even my self-respect. And I just sat there and it was like the world was going by and I was just frozen. And I didn't know, I honestly didn't know what to do. And so I just sat there and I was like, what the fuck, dude? How did I get here? And this guy comes out of nowhere uh, from across the street and said, Hey, you look like you need some breakfast. And I was like, honestly, I could use anything right now. And he just left, came back, brought me some kind of breakfast sandwich. And then I was still sitting there on my suitcase. And then not 10 minutes later, this cab driver comes up and says, Hey, where are you going? And I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I only have $20 to my name. And he said, where do you need to go? And I went to the airport. He took me to the airport. And I remember that was my moment where I was in the back of that cab and I was like, I'm going to change my life. Today's the day. And when you're 32, you think you're so old and all these other people are so far ahead of you. And it's just like devastating to know that you are, you know, kind of in my own head, I was just not I was kind of a loser, I guess. I'm sure there's a better word for that. But um, in my head, I just was. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, my parents and my family didn't think the same way because without them, I would probably still be sitting on that suitcase in New York City. <laughs> Called my dad at the airport, and I just knew he was going to yell at me. Actually, I didn't have my phone, so I had to ask this lady if I could use her phone, which is humiliating. This is 2007. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone had a cell phone by then. Called my dad, thought he was going to yell at me, and which he never did anyway, but lecture me. And he said nothing. He said, you know what, babe? You're going to be okay. We're going to be okay, and we're going to get through this. And so he's like, let me call you back. And he did. He got me into a treatment center in Dallas, Texas um, that was booked out two months. I don't know how he got me in. It wasn't the Taj Mahal, trust me. It was uh, (laughs) the opposite of that, Um, which is what I needed too, you know. Um, So that was how I got into treatment. And that was when I was like, I'm not looking back. This is, I got to get my shit together. Mm -hmm. So that's how that happened. Thank you for sharing that. I'm Uh going to cry with you, by the way, if you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm an empath and I can resonate with this, with this story. So what, what got you to that day? Like what job were you, why were you doing in New York? Like what got you to being in New York, 32 years old and, you know, blackout drunk and getting fired? What job did you have then? I, at that point was, um, having to live with my parents in Dallas. I'd had a series of really bad things happen. Um, I was in a super unhealthy relationship and was really clinically depressed if I look back on it. And it's funny when people say that because uh, alcohol is a depressant, by the way. You know, it makes me laugh. I'm like, of course I was depressed. Um, But I had gotten a job going around and traveling to market to sell things for this little boutique was just super fun, but I would find myself mm-hmm. in these fancy hotel rooms with an expense account and unlimited alcohol, really. So this time, though, this was I had already been to several other markets with this company, and at this time, I traveled with a um, coworker, and so otherwise, no one would have known, you know. But she, right, right, and then the boss was there as well. So this had been going on for some time, but no one else knew that. You right. know, even at work, I was able to pull it off though, not as well as yeah. I could have, but I could show up and I, I would go to work every day. Yeah. Yep. Functioning. So that's where I was. That That's what, how I ended up in New York city. But prior to that, I had, um, I was in Austin and had graduated from college, got my real estate license. And in, in that time frame, had met my ex-husband was in a really awful relationship, which was I'm responsible for too now that I look back on it. Of course, in that mm-hmm. in that frame of mind when you're drinking every day and you're depressed and you're in this codependent relationship in a very unhealthy way, it's easy to blame it on everyone else, which is also something alcoholics are known for, right? We don't take any responsibility for anything. So yeah, I, building up to all of that was me partying of course, at, fun, at first, that's fun, right? We all drink and have – it's super fun at first. Um, yes. But then it got to be really out of control and just spiraled into this person that I still just if, – if I'm crying at all during this, it's because I'm so sad for her. And I wish I could talk to her right now and be like, it's going to be okay, I promise. But you got to do the work, dude. you got to mm-hmm. get your shit together. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just – just like alcoholism is, it's so bizarre and weird. Like you don't think you're going to drink again that day, you know, every morning you're like, Oh, I am not drinking tonight. This is stupid. And then by four or five o'clock, you're so sick physically and mentally that you're, you're going to do whatever it takes to get drunk again. When did um, this relationship begin? Like how old were you when this relationship began? I was 25 when I met him. And Mercer, our mutual friend, knows him well, too. Um, and he was just magic to me. He was the yeah. life of the party. I've always been a little naturally shy, especially in social situations, and which is interesting. I'll talk about that later because that all ties yeah, okay. into all of this. Um, and so he was like, he was older than us in high school. He went to a different high mm-hmm. school. And so when I got back from graduated from college, he was pursued me. And it was just like this, you know, older guy, the bad guy deal. Um, and people had even warned me about him and warned my father, by the way. Some of my friends called my dad. Oh. Like, she shouldn't be dating this guy. <laughs> but it was this so fun, like, social scene in Austin, Texas. Like, we all met up. Everybody yep. – it was, it was normal for everyone to get drunk, you know? 
I had just never been in that scene before. Uh, I I think we were probably at the same bars at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I was the I was in Austin bar scene from two thousand one to you know two thousand six. You know, that's when I was there. I swear to God. Uh huh. I know. I don't know how. <laughs> Nope. No, I didn't. I was more like South, uh, South and maybe sometimes, you know, like I went to this place called the Horseshoe Lounge on South Lamar, like a dive bar. I should know. I lived on South Lamar with Mercer. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. I lived on South Lamar too. Oh God. Isn't this (laughs) I lived like, I know I lived like an apartment complex, which is still there, like right couple blocks, not blocks, couple doors behind the broken spoke. Yeah, we weren't far from each other. I'll remember no, the name we of our street, but yeah. we all lived in this duplex. And mm-hmm. it's funny to think back, though, because before I had met him and got into this scene, I actually was pretty responsible. I paid for my own college. Uh-huh. I worked my ass off. I would drink, but I just drank beer. And if I drank too much, I wouldn't drink again for a very long time. So for me, it was a combination of really mental illness in a way, if I'm really mm-hmm. honest about it. because. Yep. I went into the over drinking because I had low self-esteem, which led to more drinking and then in a, in a really unhealthy relationship and probably some mental abuse really. Um, (laughs) But it just spiraled out of control after that. And I I couldn't get a grip back on it. And I don't know where that happened, but it did. I couldn't get a grip on it. Interesting. And he was like, you had mentioned that you were shy and it sounds like he was more of a personality. Oh yeah, definitely. And really funny and like so fun to be around, you know? And so it was just this thing where I had never experienced that before. Right. It was showing you a new side of you and that you liked. Yeah. And it was just fun. It was fun to be around all these people. We moved a lot as a kid. And so I never had this huge base of friends. Mm-hmm. I went to three different high schools. So I never was, I never had this big group of girls or guys that everyone hung out with. I just didn't. And so it was, for me, it was something I just had always wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And it was so fun until it was fun. Were you still married? No, no. We were no. only married for, gosh, I think two and a half years. So you weren't married to him by the time you were 32? No, I think I was 30. And then, and already was a mess, but. 30 to 32, I was my own mess, you know, he wasn't involved. So that's when it just, it was me that had my own problems and I couldn't blame them on anybody else. This is what I, I feel like is so valuable about my story is, so I get, I don't know how I got on the airplane because I was- Yeah, how did you even, how did you even buy a ticket? My dad bought it. So my dad Mm -hmm. did all of that. And yeah. I got on a flight that night. So this was morning. Call my dad. Um, by that night, he'd got me a flight and got me into treatment the very next day. So I, like, you know, any true alcoholic, I'm going to drink before I go to treatment. Uh-huh. And You're like, I got, I got one, one last day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I did. I don't know how I got on the airplane. I don't know how they let me on the airplane. I remember waking up uh, mid-flight in a panic in my seat. And asked immediately for a drink. And the stewardess said, no, I'm not going to give you any alcohol. And so I just remember sitting there like sobbing. And anyway, my dad picks me up. We have a, we, uh, have a hotel right outside of treatment. And then that very next morning I go to treatment. There's this lady when I walk in who says to me, we sit down and they kind of interview you before you're mm-hmm. you know, admitted in there. And she says, let me tell you something. In two weeks, you're going to feel like a different person. And I was like, well, I hope so, because right now I just want to die. And you really do feel that way. Um, also, I knew I wasn't going to be having another drink, so I have nothing to help me feel better. And I know that. Right. right. That's why treatment is important, because if you can get someone in there, they have an opportunity to let their brain and their body heal. You know? mm-hmm. And without mm-hmm. that, I, just, I would not have been able to, be, to get sober by myself. I, there's just no way. So two weeks later, I'm doing sprints at 5 a.m. in the treatment um, parking lot by myself, running sprints and listening to Eye of the Tiger. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Because I had felt, I hadn't felt that good in so long and it was pitch dark outside and I would just run sprints until it got light just because I felt like I was going to be something again. 
Right. And Did I you feel alive? So much energy. Yeah. And I, the, the most important part about all of this is for me, alcohol cuts God out of my life. I can't feel it. Mm-hmm. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. Within two weeks, I felt that again. Yeah. And it was just like unbelievable to me. And I learned, I listened, I learned, I did exactly what they told me to do in there. Um, I knew that on my own, I was way over my head. I also watched the people like, so you're there for four weeks, but I would have stayed for a year. I loved treatment. (laughs) I loved it. I actually, this is super funny, but so every morning you line up and they hand Mm -hmm. you this paper cup with your pills in it, whatever anybody is on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I wasn't on anything. So they gave me a vitamin and no shit. I thought that vitamin was like fucking magic. I was like, when I get out of here, I'm going to get that same vitamin. I'm taking that the rest of my life. life. (laughs) Do you know what it was? No, it was just a regular vitamin, but my brain was healing is what happened. Yeah. yeah. My brain and my body, that healed so quickly. I feel like yeah. it took a full year to really heal, like my physicalness, right. not my soul. But that just that little bit of time, I felt so much better. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's say probably, I mean, I don't know if it was me, like probably since high school, you know, well, I, I was pregnant. Like I had glimpses, like when I would be, I had four kids, when I would be pregnant, each time I was like, wow, I'm glowing and I feel so good. I love being pregnant. Uh, maybe it wasn't the pregnancy, maybe right. it was sobriety. That's why those women love pregnancy. I hated being yeah. pregnant. I loved it. <laughs> I did not. But when, but when, you know, I, I, you were sober, like how long had it been at that point when you're in treatment? How long had it been since you hadn't drank for two weeks? Oh, that's a great question. Gosh, I don't, I have no idea. Probably 15 or 14, right? Probably a teenager. Well, probably co- college. At least since 25. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was so poor in college that I literally couldn't even afford gas in my car. So I wasn't going to buy any PBRs anytime soon. <laughs> right. The Taco Bell burrito was about as close as I got to anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was probably since I was 25 that I hadn't drank, you know, pretty much every night, you know, Mm -hmm. to some extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Your body reacted right away to sobriety. So then what happened? So you're there for 30 days. Yeah. Um, my sister and my mom and dad would bring my dog who was my whole life at that time, Mm -hmm. every time they could. And I remember they, they made us these boxes in treatment and you had to put in a note to yourself in a year and then a note to yourself in five years in this box. And it was just written on a piece of paper. And the only thing I wrote was I want to make sure that I'm a better person for my family and my dog. And that was what was on the top of mind for me. Um, my niece and who I had been with my, we all lived together for a long time. She was like, the closest thing I had to a kid other than my dog. <laughs> but I just wanted to be better for them because they didn't even blink an eye. They didn't, you know, and I, I was around them drunk the most, you know, especially those last two years. I'm sure I slurred and I was embarrassing and all of those things. I still to this day don't know how I didn't get a DWI. I should have got many of them, but I didn't. Anyway, I, I, that was my biggest concern at the time was to just be better for them. And yeah. I got out of treatment. I was so scared. I pulled over on the side of the highway and just sat there and like hyperventilated because I didn't want to leave. I just wanted to stay there, you know, because um, I felt so good there. And I associated yeah. that with that. I didn't understand everything at the time, what was really going right. on, you know, organically with me. But I learned a lot there. Um, I don't remember a whole lot from treatment other than how good mm-hmm. I felt and the, the classes and stuff. But, oh, I know one thing I wanted to say. As I was there for four weeks, you keep seeing the same people who graduated come back because they drink oh, immediately oh. out they get out treatment. So I right. saw this firsthand. And then I would see people in AA meetings and say, you know, I missed my kid's whole childhood drinking. Mm-hmm. Or the most profound to me was people are sober for 10 years and they take one drink and they're right back where they started. It's and so I listened to that shit, dude. I was like, I am not doing you're that. that in. Yeah, you're like, I'm <laughs> going to learn from your mistakes. <laughs> listening to you guys. This is yeah. just, it sucks, you know? Um, so yeah. after that, um, I have a lot to tell. But yeah, just getting out of treatment and 
feeling good again was, and I continued the sprints in the parking lots even after treatment. Like I just, every morning I get up super early because I wanted to see what would happen that day because magical things happened every single day because I could see them again. So you went home to your sister's house again? I went to, they had got me an apartment next to them. So Chunk and I, my dog and I lived in an apartment by ourselves and um, I'd had some money in the bank. So I didn't have to work immediately and I like decked out my apartment, you know, and I just felt good again. You know, I was just starting to get self-confidence back. Right. And then you had to find a job again. Yeah. I ended up reconnecting. Um, a co- Well, this is, this is actually worth telling, I guess. Um, yeah. My boyfriend, Mercer knows him too. Um, my boyfriend from high school and college had been an alcoholic when I was in, in college. And so he didn't drink for a number of years and neither did I, because we, that's just not what we did. Well, when I left him, it was because he wouldn't stop drinking and it, he was a disaster. And I remember when I moved back to Austin um, after college, he called me and he was going through AA and he was on his fourth step and said, you know, will you forgive me for drinking? And I said, no, fuck off. And so I needed to correct that once mm-hmm. I got sober. That's part of my steps was to make him mm-hmm. know that I understood that even though eight mm-hmm. years had gone by. And so I reached out to him on MySpace. I met my husband on MySpace. <laughs> oh, see? Uh-oh. Showing our oh. age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I met him, uh, or I did not meet him. I reached out on MySpace, and then we started talking. And um, I flew up to Montana. So I got sober in July, and I flew up to Montana in November. And then I moved back to Montana that next January of 2008. So You lived in Montana like as a child or in high no, school? No, just in college. I just went to college. Oh, in college. Ah, oh, you college. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we reconnected. And he he was sober, completely sober, and then I was sober. But we got sober separately. It, it is a beautiful love story if I really think about it. But sometimes he just makes me so mad I want to strangle him. I'm <laughs> 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 not feeling it. But it is a beautiful love story. Yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, so I ended up just getting back to Montana like six months after I got sober. And that's really when the, the my new life started. And he was there. Yeah, um, but you know how they say when you get sober to kind of new places. Wait a year, right. Well, yeah, well, they say that too, but I've never been a really good listener. <laughs> um, but they say new places, like get away mm-hmm. from your old friends and your old, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I did. And I feel like once I got to Montana was really when I had a chance to be myself because yeah. I wouldn't run into old people or I wouldn't be reminded of old things, you know? And so mm-hmm. I just kind of started over. Yeah. So what did that look like? Would you start new? Immediately. I just, I got a job. Um, it was 2008. So the market crashed, um, but I got a job mm-hmm. in real estate for a developer and just met a ton of people through that. Um, 2010, I got my real estate license. Um, in Montana and just put my head down again and just worked my ass off. And that's how, you know, that's just how good things happen is when you put your head down and you work, you do the work regardless of what it is. And you put yourself in opportunities in places to create new opportunities. But if you don't work and you don't put yourself out there, those aren't going to happen. So some of my success is luck, but a lot of it's just fucking working, dude. That's really what it is. And at the same time, you're falling in love? Or did you get in it? Like, yeah, we fell back in love with each other. We've always had this connection. Um, that's, yeah. And it's not worldly, if that makes sense. Right. It's extremely handsome, so it really is irritating to me sometimes. Um, and, but and you, have, and you have kids? Yeah, we had um, much later. We had So that was 2008, 2012. Mm-hmm. We had our little boy named Sawyer. <gasps> Okay. And um, he's the love of our lives. So we just have, you know, our small little family. And I was 37 when I had Sawyer. So I was a late bloomer in lots of ways. But I'm glad (laughs) I was. Obviously, I would have been a mess way before that. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 It was not a... a, a, No. (laughs) And mother, you know motherhood um it, during that time was saturated with uh, kind of like celebrating drinking to cope 
you know, mommy needs wine. This is mommy's juice. You're the reason I drink and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I feel like the pendulum starting to swing kind of around that time was when it was like, woo, you know, this is how you deal with being a mom is just to zone out and get a little drunk when you're making dinner and to get through bedtime and all that. So yeah, which I can totally understand too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been a good one for me because I would have blacked out and burnt the house down, but. Right or something. (laughs) So did you continue with AA? I did for a year. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like I just wanted to go to counseling by myself. Mm -hmm. And for me, the really strong connection was God. I had my own relationship with God again. And so I started really um, nurturing that. And yeah. books like The Power Now by Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. like that changed mm-hmm. my life in so many ways. I really started to dive into studying my mind the most, it, how to find more joy, Brene Brown, all of those same women mm-hmm. we all listen to. Oprah Winfrey, honestly, is like one of my biggest heroes. Mm-hmm. She's introduced mm-hmm. me to all those people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I really feel like I should be on her show, but she hasn't reached out yet. Anywho, um, well... <laughs> Yeah. Just keep, keep, uh, you know, it in your manifest. I don't know if you know who Rachel Hollis is. No, I but, don't. So she wrote this book called Girl Wash Your Face, and she wrote a, another book called Girl Stop Apologizing. And she has this journal. Uh, I, I actually just finished. Yeah, I just finished one. And so you write like ten uh, goals that you want to accomplish in the next ten years. And so I she wrote for 1300 days or whatever it was. I don't remember for years and years and years. She wrote, I will meet Oprah. I, I no, I met Oprah. Cause you write it like it's happened. I met Oprah. Oh. I met Oprah. Okay. Guess who she met this month. Oh, that's so awesome, dude. Yeah. She is a speaker. And last year she like had decided like, I'm not speaking at anybody else's stage anymore. And she goes, but wait, if Oprah calls, I'll speak on Oprah's stage. Yeah. <laughs> I think she declared that like in October and Oprah called and she spoke on Oprah's 2020 vision tour in New York, like just two weeks ago. Yeah. I did see part of that. I'll, I'll watch it again to see her. Uh-huh. I don't even mm-hmm. need to talk to Oprah. I just want to look at her in the eye and have this look of, you know, like, thank you. Yeah. You know, like we all do. I like, feel like that's why AA yeah. works so much because you can connect immediately with people that have experienced your same suffering, but you can do that. It doesn't have to be AA. It can be anywhere. It can be with right, any- anywhere. For me, it's women because it took me so long to find my girls that now, and to appreciate even the old ones and, and maintain those relationships and come from a place of authenticity for me is so hard because I would just be so anxious and I didn't, I would just be so nervous all the time. And now I've kind of grown into this place of like, I'm ready to say I fucked up and I, I figured it out, dude. And I still yes. fuck up, but I will continue to get better. I promise. And so yep. I just want to look at her and just like kind of bow my head. Like, you know, thanks for, yeah, for she's led the way, uh, yeah. you know, the last 25 years of her being a person, you know, cause she's shared herself. That's how she started, you know, yeah. I feel like started down this road. So what was the different, like you said, you were in AA, and then you switch to individual counseling. So I'm, I'm guessing that's the point when you realize that alcohol was a symptom of something that needed to be kind of worked out. Yeah, it was just always this underlying feeling of not being good enough. You know, I mean, yeah, all we want to do is be loved and accepted. And that's the core of our humanness. And I just didn't feel that way. And it's it makes me mad too, because there was there wasn't a reason I didn't feel that way. I had a freaking I have an awesome family. Mm-hmm. I had a really awesome childhood. I never spent one day wondering if I was loved. Like, so mm-hmm. for me, what I've been working on lately is, is maybe that we're all born like that. Or a lot of us mm-hmm. are. Like it doesn't, I mean, obviously it would have been worse if I wouldn't have had such an incredible family. But maybe it is that this like longingness that we all have for each other. You know, mm-hmm. I know it is for me, you know. Really. And it's that same long, like until you have a child or a dog that feels mm-hmm. like your child, like you don't feel that inner connection of the soul and the sadness you feel when you're away from them or when they're not doing well, or just that connection of being able to put someone else before you, which to me is the only way I feel joy is when I am doing something for someone else and it has nothing to do with me. 
Your love uh, language is acts, acts of service. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, caught that that one yeah (laughs) so yeah I guess for me I've lately just been really trying to work on being vulnerable to the people my people not not you know I don't go up and tell someone I have a shitty day if I don't they're not my person you know right right but being able to do that on a daily basis and and even uh, the other thing we don't do or I don't do is say when we do stuff that matters and that's good you know we always like downplay that but it's yes. okay to call, you know, I call my dad usually and be like, listen to this, you know. But yeah, I feel like I'm just, I'm able to express myself more because I dealt with, I dealt with like really saying this is how I feel and it's okay that I feel this way. There's nothing wrong with me. I'll probably have this forever, but to kind of nurture that part of me that doesn't feel good enough, you know, and recognize it right away and be like, dude. You know, we got to do, obviously we're not feeling connected. We're not talking to people. Something's going on Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when that comes up again. And so like in your, in the past, drinking helped that come out. Oh shit. Drinking, put that away, dude. I could be fun. I could be funny. All of those things. I didn't worry about if I was fat or, you know, just like Mm -hmm. for me, it, it, all that went away for a little while. Mm -hmm. It brought you like drinking brought you joy. Yeah. Um, and they yeah. do say in, a, in AA and rehab that drink, uh, drinking's your best friend. And at first you're like, what? And then you're like, think about it. No one's there now. No one's there now when you feel that way. If you stop drinking. So then you really do have to yeah. deal with it. Or you'll drink again. You yeah. know, naturally. It's your choice. Right. Yeah. It's your choice. Yeah. Yeah. How do you maintain? Are you, do you still do counseling? You know, do, uh, do you run? Do you say you just started running? Like, what are your, you know, like, are you a meditator? Are you a journaler? Are you like, what's, how do you maintain all this? My son really, like, I just yeah. couldn't imagine not being, like, if I even, if like even drinking comes up in my head because I'm stressed out, I'll immediately mm-hmm. think of him. But mm-hmm. the most important thing for me to do is make sure I have that connection with God because if I don't, I just don't feel well. It's funny, like a week ago. I mean, I don't know how many times I have to do this to like start really taking care of it every single day. <laughs> but I'll be like, God, I just don't feel good. I feel kind of depressed. I'm anxious. You know, I haven't, you know, I just don't feel good. And I'll be like, well, duh. You know, I haven't read the Bible or I haven't, you know, mm-hmm. like really felt that present connection. That's what the power now did for me. It opened this like portal of presence where I could feel that, you know, right. that feel that connection. So, um, but then also to maintain anything, you have to give yourself a break because I'm not going to be, I'm not going to feel good every single day. And if that's what uh-huh, I'm looking uh-huh. for, then I'm, I'm setting myself up for, you know, a bunch of failure because we're human right. beings. I, yes. I just shared on my um, Facebook page for this project how uh, toxic positivity is just actually very, did you see that article? Yeah. No, but about how it, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it minimizes those, you know, struggling with other feelings. You, know, you can't just right. say everything's great, good vibes only. Right. And that minimizes the experience of people, you know, that are struggling with mental health issues. Yeah, I think it's like one extreme to the other. Like, you know, right. either someone's right. sad or they're the person that's happy all the time. And I did carry that around for a while where I was always happy. Like, or I at least seemed like I was and I would get frustrated with myself if I wasn't you know, for sure. So, but lucky everyone else around me, because you get to experience the days when I just like, do not feel good. <laughs> but usually yeah. it's about myself. It's not about anybody else. It's about me. Mm-hmm. For some reason, mm-hmm. I just wake up sometimes and I just don't feel good. So that's when yeah. I started yeah. really working out because I've watched my dad work out our whole life, like our whole life. That man has not missed one workout day, even if he had the flu. And oh, so Does go to, I was like, well, there's in his own house. Yeah. yeah, or run around the, you know, yeah. jog or go to the gym. Like he always he has. Just does. And, uh, and it's, it's not the same thing every health. day. Yes. Um, yeah, he has definitely has a routine. He is yeah. a routine kind of guy. Okay. Um, yes. But it probably is because he probably doesn't, you know what I mean? Like he figured that out early. And so I'm like, you know what? And then I told you earlier before we started recording about um, Can't Hurt Me. I'll tell you what. You reading that book. 
it just makes me want to run. I can't quit on the treadmill in my spooky basement. (laughs) (laughs) Spooky basement Uh, Yeah, it's the truth. Um, But I can't quit. I'll be like, I'm tired. I feel like crap. And then this book (laughs) has me going where you're not quitting, dude. So. Okay. And it it can't hurt me. What was the author again? Oh, David Goggins. On audiobook. Okay. You have to listen to it on audiobook because the book itself doesn't have him in it, his voice. And on audiobook, mm-hmm. him, he intervenes. It's kind of like an it's kind of like what we're doing right now, actually. Um, right, right. And then the you know, guy reads the book, but it's just amazing. It, it's just it's all about how strong your mind is mm-hmm. and just making up your mind, not listening to your body. Like we don't use our mind like we used to to survive, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I don't know, for me, it's just clicked and now I'm just in it. But I guess I'm always looking for a way to be better too. Like yeah, once you can accept your failures, then it really, for me, makes me want to get better. You know, like, oh, yeah. I totally messed that one up. How do I get better? Mm-hmm. And for me, I look for people that are, have already done the work and I just <laughs> listen to them and I do that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> 100% like my little- <laughs> A little bookshelf over there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really like the stuff that like, sure, five years ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to change my life. I don't like, I don't like who I am. I don't like what's happening. Um, but then it wasn't really until about, about two years ago when I told my, th- she was like, my therapist was like, what's going on? What are you not seeing? And I was like, oh, there was this night, you know, and it wasn't until I accepted, you know, the, like like I'm calling it the thorns and the flower, like until I was like, oh yeah, things were not good. You know, I, like I was doing all, I was doing all the things. I was doing the yoga and I was like, you know, paying attention to what I eat to kind of be healthy. And all, I was doing all these things and nothing, like there was, I was still stuck because I wasn't accepting the shit. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't accepting the the bottom I had been in. And yeah. that was a huge difference. And then going from there, of, and I feel like you, uh, until you, until you really do that, like until you, the only way out is through like these books and all that just kind of, you, it doesn't, it resonates so much more is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. It's like, AA. I mean, the reason that feels so good is because everybody understands your suffering, you know? And so you can just kind of take a deep breath and say, this is part of my experience, but it's not just my experience. It's part of like the human experience experience on different levels and for different reasons. Yep. 100%. So now, like, you know, you had a child in 2012 and like, what else? Like, how do you get from, I think because 2012 was probably the last time we talked about like where your life evolved to bring us up to now 2020. What's happened for you? Well, I've named 2020 hashtag get it done 2020 because I'm getting all the bullshit out of my life now because I've heard. So that's really what's happening now. My 45 year old healed brain (laughs) doesn't Uh want to put up with any bullshit anymore. I think that yep. just happens to most women. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, 2012, had my baby, f- got back full-time into real estate and just, again, put my head down, worked my ass off. And the markets continued to get better. And I'm, I work in Bozeman and I live in Livingston, which are 20 miles apart. Um, so I'm really in both markets. But our market here is incredible. And so I've kind of ridden that wave. Um, not without real estate brings its own challenges. I mean, even our pay structures can be extremely stressful, <laughs> but in the process of that, I was HGTV had put out this ad that they wanted realtors to interview for this show on HGTV called living big sky. I thought that was hilarious until my sister-in-law kept making me, I mean, she just made me. So I sent in this video. I'll send it to you later. It's hysterical. Okay. <laughs> this, this bloopers video I did on uh, as a TV commercial for real estate. And that's really when I got started getting calls, which is by putting myself out there and being authentic and in a funny way, which resonated to the, I attract the kind of people that I wanted to work with, you know? So HGTV interviewed me and then I did um, a bunch of episodes for them on living big sky. And through that process met my best friend, Jackie Wickens. And we started working together in real estate and we have so many parallels, um, not the drinking thing at all, but just our, just, just being a, a woman, a girl, and then a woman, and then a mother, and then, 
you know, having a career and owning your own business, we just have those parallels. And so Mm -hmm. we connected on a deeper level than work or even friendship. Mm -hmm. She feels like my family, but I could be authentic with someone. And it was just like so refreshing to me, you know, on a day-to-day basis, other than my sister and my mom and dad, we started working together. Then HGTV reached out to us about doing a show on HGTV together. And we wrapped that up about, well, I guess it's been a year now since we completely wrapped that up. And they've aired, they asked us to do a, a whole series of eight episodes. And so that itself was quite the adventure and a lot of work um, with small kids. So it's, you know, again, it's all about like the balance of what you, what your definition of success is. So you have to figure that out, especially when you have young kids, because I'm not going to miss my kids' childhood to gain, you know, I don't. I've already reached my level of all I've ever wanted is an old house that I could restore a healthy kiddo marriage and family and friends. So I'm, I'm pretty much there. I don't need much more to feel the joy that I need, but we have an opportunity to mm-hmm. continue on TV and it does help our business a lot and it is a ton of fun. So that's where we are now. And we've teamed up. We have our own real estate team, just the two of us. And we're cool. just making ass. Awesome. Do you do residential, commercial, all of it, any of it? No, just residential. Just residential. Cool. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, there's not really much crossover. Yeah, I'll do small, like older buildings commercial, but not. Right. I try not to. Yeah. Yeah, not the new strip, but like maybe a downtown. Right. And what else did, if you want to talk, and if you don't, we'll just cut this up, uh, about the Tory thing you were going on that you told me about before. Oh yeah. So Jackie and I, we, when we first teamed up, we hired a whole bunch of assistants because we wanted more time with our kids. And Mm -hmm. through that process, we figured out that, uh, having assistants is more work. So we kind of scaled it back, you know, because I feel like as you get older, you start to look at what's not working just as much as what is working. And that was not working. And so we joined a new brokerage, Coldwell Banker, because they're really agent centric and they do all the paperwork and all the admin stuff for us. So we can go out and be real estate agents, which is what we're good at. But through the show and a series of other crazy events, we also renovate houses and have a couple of projects always ongoing. And then we've bought a cabin together on the Yellowstone that we're restoring and we'll use as um, just an investment property. Yeah, we, it's just like this thing with the universe that we all kind of feel. I always think of, um, what was that movie with the sea turtles and Dory? What was that uh, movie? Finding Nemo. Yeah. You know when the, all the sea turtles get into the, the like natural current that mm-hmm. goes to Australia? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where I am right now. Everyone's once in a while, I take my leg out and I get all, you know, <laughs> freaked out. But right, I get right back into that current because I kind of know what feels good now and where I should be. And what I'm capable of and what's important to me. So, um, but she's definitely in the current with me. And it's so much more fun to be in there, you know, together. What are you, um, what are you going on? Did you write something? What is this? Oh, the tour. Yeah. I also get off track a lot. Um, That's okay. So we joined Coldwell Banker and they have asked us, and we went through a lot of business coaching and all this stuff to get back in the current. Mm -hmm. And so they've asked us to share our stories, including our personal lives on how we got from zero to a hundred really in our real estate careers. And, you know, it's just do the work is the title of our talks, but we're going to go on tour to three different cities in Colorado, Aspen, Telluride, and a couple other places. And we have to do an hour talk. I don't know how I'm going to do that. <laughs> you can do it. Look, yeah, I wish I could do it like this, and then we could see me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. And, but it's supposed to be inspirational about you know just kind of finding your way and the mistakes you make along the way, um, uh-huh. because that you know resonates just like this. It resonates with people, mm-hmm. the failures, and just getting yourself back up and working. Yeah. Well, I think that we're starting to maybe rethink failure. I, I know stuff that I'm reading and things that I'm plugged into of embracing failure because in fact, you learn more from failure and you, I learn from other people's failures too. And I don't, you know, uh, want to just say, I only learn from other people. I learn from my own failures, mm-hmm. but I love that there's kind of been a rebranding of failure. It's just starting to traction of like, don't fear it, but like embrace right. it actually. And in fact, I know with my husband and I, our business, we can 100% 
like recall the things we fucked up and what we learned from that more so than what we're doing, you know, 100%. And I'm so glad that, so they're, they're saying like, look at, this is a model to go right. after, you know? Oh, yep. I love that. Yeah. And it's That's just with anything in life. It doesn't have to be sobriety. It can be anything. I mean, this last year we realized that we had messed up in our business by hiring assistants you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. working. We're not good managers. We're good real estate agents. So mm -hmm. even in that instance, it's like, if you don't try something, then you can't fail. Maybe failure should be our goal. Yes. Yeah. This woman says, I hope you fail. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you tried something and then you know that doesn't work. So then you go on to the next thing. I always remember that, you know, Abraham Lincoln ran for president three different times. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That always made, I always think of that. Like, holy shit. What if you wouldn't have? Where would we all be? That'd be terrifying. Yeah. The success is not, you know, avoiding failure. It's getting back up again. Right. Yep. So it all goes back to the Rocky song. Yes. Really, really. <laughs> <laughs> that can be the perfect. Can you play that at the end? When yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we just play it? Can you do that? <laughs> that shouldn't be a problem, right? <laughs> uh. Uh, or Eminem, I love his song too. The, what, the five oh, that one, that one gets me going too. Yes, yes. Is there anything else? You know, we're kind of coming to a natural end. Is there anything else you wanted to share? No, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it I appreciate is, it so much. It does feel like as as I get older, helping people mm -hmm. through my experiences really it does bring me joy. It really does. Yeah, because it's okay. I wish somebody would have looked at me and said, "Dude." You're gonna get out of this. Like it's okay. I've been through it too. But at the time, you just want to die, you know. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. thank God. Yeah. But anyway, I just uh, yeah, it's cool to be on here. Yeah. What you said is exactly why I started this project. The same thing of like get to that point in your kind of journey and growth or whatever to be like, okay, I'm at a point where I can turn around and say like, hey, this is what happens. It's gonna like it's that whole. It gets better. Yeah, but you gotta do the work. It's not gonna get no one else gonna make it better. <laughs> Nope. Do no. The only way out is through, right? Yep. Awesome. <laughs> if people want to connect with you, Tracy, where could they find you? If they want to follow you, if they want to, you know, know all your things. Yeah. Well, um, for those of you that are Instagram people, I just am still learning. <laughs> so everyone, there's a picture of my kid on there, but I'm trying to get better. I have Facebook. We have most of our like fun stuff that we do, like Montana style stuff is on Jackie and Tracy on Instagram. And then JackieandTracy.com. But then I'm on Facebook too, just myself as Tracy cool. Hughes. So, but you can always email me too, or if someone has a personal story, or they, you know, even down to what treatment did you go to? What did that look like? Like any of that kind of stuff, I'm happy to share. Yeah. My email address is TracyWheatHughes at gmail.com. And what's the name of your show? Mountain Mamas. Mountain mamas. Mountain mamas. Yeah, I love that. I've always, I've, I love mama. I'm, I'm a mama over mom. So I yeah, my little that. guy calls me mama too. Yeah. Yep. Mamas. Yep. I'm. I, I always forget this, and I have a note at the end, like remind everyone that I'm on social media as well, and everything is at LaJoy Society, which is L A J O I E S O C I E T Y LaJoy Society, and then you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and my website, and you could also email me all the things. L-A-J-O-I-E society at gmail.com. And thank you so much, everyone. And I would say we'll see you next week, but there's no seeing. Like <laughs> I'll talk to y'all next week. Awesome. Everything up to this point has led me here and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the made no sense I felt so wrong and out of place now seemed to fit perfectly to tell a story that was meant to be Choices made, cards left on table
since you 